Thank you, Dwayne, choir and orchestra. What great, anointed, inspirational worship we've had this morning. We really have. You know, I love our church. I love my church. I hope you can say that, that with me, your church. God has greatly blessed Lindsay Lane. We're very fortunate to uh, have the blessing of God over the years. We're only 30 years old this month. We're celebrating our 30th year, September of 1988. And so, uh, amen, 30 years. God's blessed us. <clears throat> I get to teach, Brother Randy and I get to teach the new members class. We had, I don't know, 15 or so in there this morning. And I get to share a little bit about Lindsay Lane and what it means to us and what we believe, you know, our statement of faith and what we teach here, our doctrine. And so I would encourage you this morning to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. Revelations chapter 6. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. We would love to have you. My wife and I would love to meet you, as Dwayne said, immediately following the service. So bring your card back there. I have my free gift, my autobiography book I'd love to give to you. So you come by and see me. I just uh, love meeting people. I really do. You know, as we are in this series, I've already preached through the first five chapters of Revelation. And as I begin Uh, Revelation chapter 6 verse 19, I do so with nervousness because it's not easy preaching through Revelation. It's really not. But also just the content of the things that we're going to be looking at, the things we're going to be talking about and discussing over the next several, 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 several months. I don't know how long. Maybe Jesus will come back before we get through, right? There's a good chance of that, by the way. And so uh, I do hope to end sometime maybe around the uh, springtime of Revelations because I'm taking a group to Israel in May, May the 13th through the 22nd. Uh, We're taking a group, Dr. Johnny Hunt and I. He's taking a group. I'm taking a group from Lindsay Lane. Boy, that'd be awesome right after we preach through Revelation to go to Israel where we're going to be there and see Jerusalem and all the surroundings. So if you'd like to go, we're having a meeting today, by the way, this evening at, uh, this evening at 5 o'clock. I'm meeting with any of those interested in going with us on their trip to Israel. So you can meet with us right across the choir practice room there. The choir suite will be meeting at 5 o'clock this evening. So you can come and join us this evening. We'd love to have you go with us. But I'm looking forward to that. Uh, as we look at the judgment and the tribulation, I talked about this uh, last Sunday, tried to introduce us to the justice and the judgment of God, and that's what we're going to see unfold even today as we look at our, our, our text today and our message today. But understanding the judgment of God, the judgment of hand of God is on the way, right? And a lot of people think, well, look at all that's happened in the world. Everybody's getting away with this and getting away with that. Nobody gets away with anything. I'm telling you, God's judgment is just. His judgment is just. And we're already seeing things happening in our land today. We just watched this weekend uh, Hurricane Florence coming in. And next week, we're going to talk about that, the sixth seal. When we open up the sixth seal, it's about the cosmic judgment uh, even on planet Earth. And so we're seeing that in hand with this hurricanes and fires and all sorts of things and tornadoes and volcanoes and everything's happening. And so at the end of time, when God's judgment comes on planet Earth, and John's given us a foresight into heaven, we've already saw that in the first five chapters, but now we're going to see the 70th week unfold. I introduced that to you in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. We see the 70th week of Daniel. 
the Bible prophesied the 69 weeks from the time that Nehemiah began to build the walls until the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw those 69 years there, in the uh, 69 years, which represents uh, the 70th years. And then we, there was one left out. That was 69. The 70th week is prophesied for a future event. And John gives us privilege to look at the 70th week, the seven-year week, if you will, uh, the, uh, the tribulation. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in our text today. So uh, next week you'll hear more about the cosmic uh, seal. We're going to look at the first four seals today. I want to read this statement, all right? Watch the screen. Here's a statement on the screen. The worship described, we've already talked about this, the worship described in Revelation 4 and 5 is preparation for the wrath described in Revelation 6 through 19. This worship and then wrath may seem strange to us, but this is because we do not fully understand either the holiness of God or the sinfulness of man. Finite man cannot fully grasp the total picture of what God is accomplished accomplishing in Revelation 6 through 19, or how the forces of evil have totally opposed him. God is a loving God. He is long-suffering. But eventually, he must judge sin and vindicate his people, his servants, as well as execute justice to his word. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 19, we're seeing a cosmic conflict between God and Satan. Also, we're seeing a conflict between Jerusalem and Babylon. Babylon was the enemy, if you will, of Israel. And so as we unpack this book of Revelation, we're going to witness firsthand, firsthand, the exalted King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He vindicates, if you will, His people and gives victory to those who overcome And I pray today that you are in Christ and Christ is in you because if you are, you are an overcomer. And so as we look at this, think about that. Where do you stand in Christ? Have you ever accepted Him into your life? Are you a believer? If you are, you're an overcomer. All of these things are going to be overcome by Christ for you. But if we're not an overcomer, we've never received Christ, then you also will be involved in the judgment. All right? Since neither the rapture nor the church are mentioned In Revelation 6 through 18, it's concluding that the rapture of the church takes place before the events of the preceding uh, tribulation. And so that's why I'm a pre-trib. I believe that the church will be raptured. The Bible talked about that. There's a lot of evidence there in the scriptures. We teach that, that that the church has been raptured out before this great and terrible time called the tribulation time. And so it's coming. It's coming. Now... I want to say this, with each of these judgments, we're going to see these judgments of God. We're going to see, first of all, the seven seal judgment, and they are really bad. And then it gets worse. The severity of judgment gets worse in the the preceding, if you will, seven judgments. And then it gets even worser. Is that a word? Worser and worser. (laughs) Terrible. Horrible. When the bold judgments, we're going to see the seven seal judgment, seven trumpet judgment, and then we're going to conclude with the seven bold judgment. And each one leads into the other, and it gets, I'm telling you, it gets terrible, horrible, horrendous. We can't even fathom 
with our finite mind, we can't even imagine how bad it's going to be. And then we're just seeing evidence of these little hurricanes and things like that, which are devastating and destruction. But you can't imagine what this tribulation period is going to be like. So I want to begin Revelation chapter 1, look in verse number 1. Now I, John, saw the Lamb, that would be Jesus, and he opened one of the seals. Of the seven seals, he opened the first one. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And so we're looking into heaven, and now John leads us in chapter 6, and we're seeing, we're introduced now to the Lamb of God once again. And we, we talked about this in chapter 5, and chapter 4 and 5, that only Jesus, the Lamb of God, was worthy to unleash and unlock the seven seals of the scroll. Remember, the scroll was in his hand, and he was the only one that could unlock these seven seals surrounding the scroll. And as each seal is broken, the horrors of tribulation are loosed upon planet Earth right before our eyes. Now, as we look in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2 through 8, we're introduced to the first four seals. And these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to show you in the Scripture, we're going to look at it, the four riders, if you will, the four horsemen of the coming apocalypse. Now, as, we, as John conversed with the four living creatures, you remember the four living creatures we were introduced to in chapter 4? These are the four angels, if you will, the four messengers of God. God always uses His messengers, His angels like Gabriel and Michael and others to do His bidding. And so these four creatures are involved, these four messengers of God. And what do they do? First, they give an invitation. There in chapter 1, come and see. I want you to look, John says, as the messenger, the first one says, these four living creatures say, come and see. Now, the background for this, I want you to see before I dive in, I want you to understand some of the background. Now, as I go through Revelations, you need to understand that a lot of this has been prophesied already. And it was by Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. Jeremiah prophesied it. Zechariah we'll look at today. And others who have prophesied some of these coming judgments. Even hundreds of years before this. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 1. The reason I want you to look here is Zechariah also prophesied. He gives us the imagery of horses. And when you look at horses in the Bible... Zechariah had a vision that God gave him, a prophecy of the coming judgment, if you will, and these horses. Horses are oftentimes represent God's activity on planet Earth. They're used to accomplish His uh, divine purposes. And at the center of God's covenant with Israel, remember God made a, uh, they made a covenant with the Antichrist in Jan, uh, Daniel chapter 9, there was a covenant between the, they didn't know them, but the Antichrist, they signed that covenant with, the, with Israel. And so we see the coming judgment. Now, as we look in Zechariah, I want you to look in Zechariah, if you will, chapter 1. Hope you found that in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 1, and look in verses 8 through 10. Zechariah prophesying by inspiration of God said, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. And it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. And then I said, My Lord, what are these? And so the angel who talked with me said to me, 
I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones, speaking about these horses, these are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. And so this was prophesied hundreds of years before. Now, if you will, I want you to look in chapter 6 of Zechariah. Turn over a few pages. And look what Zechariah writes under the inspiration. This is prophecy. Look what he writes in chapter 6. Zechariah chapter 6. Then I turned and raised my eyes and I looked. And behold, there were four chariots. They were coming from between the two mountains. Now, some commentators believe this is the Mount of Olives and Mount Zion. And I, I've been there, and I'm going to go there in May again. If you go right between the, the mountain of Mount of Olives and the Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem, there's a great valley, the Kindred Valley it's called. And some writers believe he's referring to these. Now watch this. I turned in my eyes and I looked, and behold, the four chariots were coming from between the two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. With the first chariot were red horses. With the second chariot there were black horses. And with the third, there were white horses. And with the fourth, there were dapple or pale horses or cloudy. That word dapple means a cloudy or, or a, a painted. It would kind of be like a spotted horse. Now, they were strong steeds. Then I answered and said in verse 4, I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel again answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. The one with the black horses is going to the north country. That would be Babylon in this text. And the white horse are going after them, and the dapple horse are going toward the south, which would be Egypt. Now, these are two enemies of Israel in this particular writing in Zechariah. In verse 7, Then the strong steeds went out, e eager to go, that they may walk, might walk to and fro throughout the earth. And he said, go walk to and fro the earth. So they walked to and fro throughout the work. Now these also, these horses represent messengers, if you will, that God's using and bidding to do his judgment. Now look in Revelation chapter 6, and we'll see exactly what these horses are doing, if you will, these representatives of God on planet earth. They're bringing God's judgment. And so we'll look at those. So I want you to turn. The first seal, in your outline, I hope you got your outline today. You can take notes. The first seal is the white horse. In verse number 2, Revelation 6, let's look in verse number 2. Read it together. And I looked, John said, and behold, there was a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow. He had a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now notice that. He went out conquering and to conquer. The rider chooses a white horse, which is a symbol of conquering and conquest. Now, white, in the Bible, when you see this, white is a symbol of victory. You remember a lot of times Jesus is described in his resurrected body. He's described with whiteness, the white hair even if you will. And then white is a symbol of victory. By the way, you know what we're going to be wearing in heaven? You ever think about that? White robes. Why is that? Because we're victorious. We win. Amen? 
we win. And so this white horse is a symbol, if you will, of victory. Now, as we look at this, we've got to find out who is on this white horse. Who's riding this white horse? Well, immediately you would think, well, it's the Lord Jesus. Some commentators even refer to it's Jesus in Revelation chapter, chapter 19. Jesus is described when he comes back, he's going to be riding what? A white horse. He's going to come with a crown. And he's going to come to, to uh, bring judgment to the earth. But this horse is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Or this white horse rider, this first rider of this white horse in the first seal is not Jesus. Now, it's the, it's the Antichrist. They both ride a white horse and they both wear crowns. And they both are bent on conquest. Are conquering. The devil is. Now the devil himself has always been an impersonator, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it makes sense that it's going to appear to be like Christ, but it's not Christ. By the fact, the word anti does not only mean against, it means a type of. And so he's called the Antichrist in which he kind of appears like Christ, but he's not Christ. Even from heaven, Lucifer always wanted to be God. And so the Antichrist is coming, if you will, on a white horse, and God's bringing judgment. Now, again, he has a white horse and a crown. By the way, he's counterfeit. Even the Jews would be deceived. Jesus said in John 5, 43, If some other one comes in my name, him you'll receive, but you won't receive me. And so they were going to receive this Antichrist, And he's the great deceiver, and he's going to come as a world leader. He's going to come as a peaceful leader. He's going to come bringing peace in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. He's going to be preaching peace, and everybody's going to be flocking to this charisma antichrist, this man. We don't know who it is. We don't know who it is, but we know that it's going to be the antichrist. And notice something. He has a bow, but he has no arrows. He has a bow, but he has no arrows. Jesus, in Revelation 19, when he comes on a white horse, he's coming with a sword. Now, sword represents judgment. So when Jesus comes back, he's going to have a sword. And it's going to be the judgment upon planet Earth. So the Antichrist is going to appear on the scene, and he's going to appear to solve the world's problems. Right? He's going to appear to serve, serve the world, uh, solve the world's problems as the great liberator. And we're, 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 we're really set up right now for somebody to bring peace to this earth, right? We really are. Because you can understand how people are going to be flocked to somebody with charisma who's going to be promoting peace and bringing peace to our world. And so it's going to be a deception. Even today, we've got to be careful of who we listen to and who we follow and false prophecy and heretics who preach one thing against the Word of God. For instance, Colossians chapter 2. Listen to this verse of Scripture. Colossians 2.8 says this on the screen. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men and according to the basic principles of the world, but not according to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was sharing with our new members this morning, new members class. I said, you know what? One thing, the reason we have new members class, I want you to know what we believe here at Lindsay Lane. I want you to know what we're going to be teaching here at Lindsay Lane. We're going to be teaching the Bible. Amen? We're not going to teach speculations or the USA Today, things like that. We may use some illustrations, but we're going to be teaching the Word of God. One of the reasons God's blessed our church in our 30-year history is because we preach the Bible. We live and teach the Bible. And so anything else foreign to that, you want to be skeptical of that. Amen? 
And you need to take notes. That's why I encourage you to take notes and study for yourself what you believe the Scriptures are saying. What is it saying to you? Amen and amen. That's a good place to say amen. Let's just do it together, all right? Let me help you with this. Amen. All right. Amen and amen. All right, that's seal number one, been broken. It's the white horse, the horse of conquering. Now, let's look at the second seal. Is this broken? Verse number three. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying the same thing, come and see. And another horse, a fiery red horse, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another, and there was given him a great sword. Now, this second seal, the second rider, is the red horse. The red horse, the rider of this red horse, is a symbol of conflict. A symbol of conflict. And again, these living creatures, the calf and uh, the man, all these, they're, they're doing God's work. Now, red is the color of blood, right? The Bible says in Leviticus, without, blood, without the blood, we wouldn't survive. So red indicates, in the Bible, the color of blood. And now, for instance, the color of red is often associated with death and terror. The red dragons mentioned in Revelations 12, 3. In Revelation 17, 3, the red beast that we're going to talk about is mentioned. It's a picture of blood and bloodshed and war. When you look at red, and this red horse is going to be bringing, it's going to be bringing terrible things, a bloodshed, people killing one another, and death over planet Earth. Now, notice in the text that people are going to be killing one another. See, war has been a part of our experience and our earth since Cain and Abel. Remember that bloodshed, the first one there in Cain and Abel? Cain killed Abel and shed the blood. All through the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, we see war and bloodshed all through it. And so it's really nothing new to our world, but when God brings judgment, it's going to be multiplied and cultivated into something you can't even hardly imagine, the killing and the blood and the evil. It's going to be magnified. And the red horse is a symbol of what Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7. What did Jesus say to the people? He said this, Nation's going to rise against nation. Kingdom's going to rise against kingdom in the last day. Also, brother against brother. Brother against brother. Nation against nation. People against people. Jesus prophesied that himself. It's going to happen in the last days. And so we're going to see evil and hatred. You think it's bad now. You think MS-13 and some of these other things are bad now. You can't even imagine what's going to be like during the tribulation period because the devil's going to be unleashed. He's going to have rain. He's riding that horse. God's using me even to bring judgment. In John 10.10, Jesus said this, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what the Antichrist is all about. We know that because we're believers. We know what. We have the prophecy ourselves right here in front of us. We know what's going to happen. John's given us insight to that. Now, in verse number 4, did you see this? John's revealing to us, watch this, And there was given to him a great sword. 
So in John's day, sword was represent as weapons of mass destruction. That's why the sword represented, it represented, that's what a, the a weapon of mass destruction was in his day. It was the sword. And now we're looking at chemical warfare, we're looking at nuclear bombs, all types of things are happening. And so even now, we, we hear about war, we're constantly bombarded with war and bloodshed. Just look at the current events that's happening right now in the Middle East. We're hearing about Syria, the atrocities that are happening in, uh, by ISIS in Syria, in Iran, in Iraq, Afghanistan, all of these Middle Eastern countries. We're seeing devastated in the news, and we're saying, oh, my word, how can anybody do that? How can somebody, and I don't want to get graphic because we've got children listening and all of that, but I'm telling you some of the most barbaric things you can imagine are happening even now by ISIS. Now, you magnify that. What's going to be like in the tribulation period? So there's war in the Middle East. Been war in the Middle East. It still is. Israel's been at war with Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, and, and uh, Iran, and among others. There's warfare on every side of Israel, especially on the northern borders. They're surrounded by warfare, and in the end, it's going to culminate against Israel. Hezbollah and Hamas and Iran, all of these are enemies of Israel. Now, we're not going to turn there today, but in our study, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. You may want to read those in your homework. Look at Ezekiel chapter 38 and Ezekiel chapter 39. It speaks about the invaders of the north. They're mentioned about the horsemen and the bows and the arrows. The same language that John's using here in Revelation chapter 6 is prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. The biblical land of Magog. We'll see Gog, if you will, coming from Magog, that is, which is probably, most interpreters believe, I do as well, is Russia. And it's predicted to be peaceful until suddenly they begin to invade. It's kind of like if you read the history of Hitler, how he first had all these Czechoslovakia and all these little uh, Poland, Polish European nations. They all believe, well, he's promoting peace. He's promoting peace. And they even signed some treaties. And the next thing you know, Hitler's taking over the world, bringing devastation, annihilating the Jews. It's similar to what's going to be happening here with this Antichrist. And so they're used to war. They're wanting peace. And they're going to listen to that, whoever promotes that. And so we're going to see that happen in the biblical land of Magog as Russia and others begin to invade Israel. And by the way, the Middle Eastern nation of Iran is considered to be the homeland, get this, the heart and soul of Russia. And so we're seeing a lot of this culminating, if you will, in biblical prophecy against Israel even now. And so we'll be looking at that. That's just a little taste of coming attractions that we're going to be looking at in our study of Revelation. Let me give you the third seal. The third seal is found in verse 5 and 6. Verse 5. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands, a balancing scales. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. The third horse is the black horse. 
We see the black horse in verses 5 and 6. And the rider of the black horse is a sign or symbol of famine. There's going to be a great famine in the land. And John mentions these four different things that's going to happen, but one of those is a great famine. Now, this is going to be a time, can you imagine, this is going to be a time of economic disaster and wholesale starvation in the world. There's some parts of the world now who are experiencing starvation. We don't have a clue about that, but there are. There's a lot of countries and places who are experiencing economic depression, economic disaster, and wholesale starvation. Now, if you look at these scales, what, what's, what's the black horse? The black horse represents famine. Now, watch this. If you look at these scales, in, in, the, in biblical times, you remember Matthew was a tax collector? They had these scales. They would say they were called balancing scales. I wish I'd put a picture up, but you can imagine if you read your Bible and a little history. They're balancing scales. And what would happen, the, the tax collectors, Matthew in his day, they would have a certain amount of tax they had to pay to Caesar, and the people would put theirs over here, and they had to balance for their part. And, of course, Matthew and, some, uh, and uh, uh, Zacchaeus, who's also corrupt, they would, they would put extra there to make them have to pay more, and then they would skim off the top. But anyway, these balancing scales is what's in picture here. Now, watch what it says about this. The four-leaving creature said, There's a quart of wheat for a denarius. And then there's a quart, I mean, there's a third quart, three quarts of barley for for denarius. Now, as the world begins to experience starvation, it takes a day's wages. A denarius represents a day's wages. Can you imagine, listen to this, can you imagine working all day for one meal just to pay for your meal? That's, that's a significance here. A denarius is a day's wages, and it would only get you a quart of wheat, or if you're poor, you get a three quarts of barley because it's a lot cheaper. And so you're trying to feed your family. You're trying to stay physically fit. And you, all you can do is pay for a day's wages for these little bit of food. And so we see starvation. And we see that uh, what's happening. I'll never forget going to Africa. And by the way, if you've never been on a foreign mission trip, you need to go on one. It'll help you. By the way, it'll help you carry your kids with you. If you've never been to Haiti, never been to Africa, some places like that, it'll help them. It'll help my grandchildren. I've tried to take all of my grandchildren on mission trips when they'll go, and I have done that. And some of them have been with me, and they've seen firsthand poverty. And they realize how good we have it here in the U.S. of A. But in, in Africa, they have a staple product, which is made out of corn. It's called enshima. It's just, it's just corn boiled and have mace there. And, that's, their, and that's, that's all they have. It has no taste whatsoever. It almost looks like our grits, doesn't it, Eric? It looks like grits. I can't stand grits. And by the way, I couldn't stand in Shima. I lost some weight when I went on my mission trip. But that's what they have. You either eat it or die. So you don't go down to McDonald's. You don't get a Big Mac. Amen? You don't get these kind of things. And can you imagine the whole world experiencing economic disaster and starvation? That's exactly what's happening. And he said, by the way, he mentioned the oil and the wine, which were luxury items. He said, leave those alone. Same as in the end times as today. The poor get poorer and the rich get richer. Amen. But he uses famine and war. They go together. So what happens when you have a shortage of food? It drives up the prices you got economic disaster, 
the government begins to take over. Right? And then you begin to ration things. I'll never forget my dad. Can you imagine this? Back in, uh, I don't know when it was, but my dad told me when he was growing up that Athens, they had to have ration for milk and bread. You couldn't even buy milk and bread unless your name ended in A through L on one day. You had to go when it was either M through Z. They had to rationalize food even back then. And it was an economic depression in the, in the 20s or 30s or whenever it was. And, uh, and so having to ration food. And, and so can you imagine the Antichrist coming in? He's taking over the government. He's a one world leader and, and now he's in control. And we'll get to this in Revelation. But you can't buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. So you're going to starve to death. You're either going to die a martyr or you're going to, you're going to adhere to what the Antichrist has to say. And so this famine, this horse, this black horse of famine. I read, I read where in World War I where people were taking 10,000 German bills. I don't know how many of that was, $10,000 or whatever it was. Put it in a wheelbarrow and took it to the market to buy a single loaf of bread. You see, it don't matter how much money you have then, you can't even buy it. You see, famine makes money worthless. And, and so what was happening here, and uh, that people were just starving. I read where David Jeremiah in his book, The Coming Darkness, I, I've read, he, he made this quote. Listen to what he said. We throw away enough food in our garbage cans every day to feed a family of six in the nation of India. Our dogs have a higher protein diet than most people in the world. That's a true fact, by the way. Now listen, think about that, how good... See, we can't relate to this, can we? There's some people in the world that can relate to starvation, but we can't even relate to this tribulation period. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we're raptured out? Aren't you glad that God's spared us of this coming tribulation? We don't know what's going to happen right in the next future, but the Bible, with all my heart, the Bible's clear that we're going to be raptured out. And by the way, it's no wonder that we understand how the Antichrist is going to get an audience of everyone because when you're starving to death, you're going to do whatever it takes. Amen? Even take the mark of the beast if you, unless you're really, really, really faithful and you become a martyr. Let me give you the fourth seal. The fourth seal is found in verse 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. Same thing. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And the power was given to this horse over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, with beast, and with pestilence. All of those things are going to happen in the tribulation period. So the fourth rider is the pale horse. The rider on this horse is represented or symbol of death. It's a symbol of death. And so we see this. Now here's the truth I put in your outline. Listen to this. Death takes the body and Hades or hell takes the soul. Death takes the body in the tribulation period and Hades takes the soul. Someone put it this way. Death rides the horse and Hades follows with the horse, the hearse. Death takes the horse, 
and Hades follows with the hearse. Now look what he's saying. He's putting them together right here in this back corner. He said there's death followed by Hades. That's symbolic or, uh, of, the, of the grave, if you will, or death itself, or even Hades or hell. Now John says during the tribulation, in verse number 8, that power and authority is going to be granted to death and Hades in four forms of death that we mentioned there. Now think about this. It's going to kill one-fourth of the earth. Now, it's about almost 8 billion people on planet earth today. So you're looking at about 2 billion people. 2 billion people who are just going to be, who are going to die. And, and, uh, and so at this particular time, and watch this, he says the pale horse that represents death over it, he's given to power to kill four, uh, a fourth of the earth even then. And so look what happened in verse, uh, verse number nine, 10. And they cried with a loud voice. I'm sorry, in verse number 8. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword. That's judgment. That's judgment. And it kills with hunger, with death. We see all of these horses, and we see even the beasts are going to be killing people in the last day. Now, John says that the, the, the death in Hades has the authority to kill. And I want you to look in Ezekiel chapter 14. This is another prophet, Ezekiel. I already told you about 38 and 39, but look in Ezekiel 14. He references this by prophecy. Now, look in Ezekiel chapter 14, if you want to, and mark that or write it on your outline. Here's what it says in verse 21. Watch the parallel, this prophecy, with Revelation 6. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments, we're looking at those, on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and wild beast and pestilence, to cut off man and beast from it. So there's prophesied, those four things of death are going to be prevalent on planet earth in the last day. The sword here is not necessarily to war, it's murder. People are going to be killing one another. I already talked about that. And so we see in the tribulation these four seals or the four horsemen is God's method of allowing evil to run rampant on planet earth. And so we have a hard time understanding that. We really do. And I have a hard time. You know, you can't comprehend all of this, but as we see the tribulation period unfold in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, we're going to see the judgment of God because of sin in the earth. And see, God's a long-suffering God. God's a loving God. God's been a, you know, how many times have you said, I can't believe, somebody said this, if God doesn't come back uh, soon, then uh, he, he, he's made like Billy Graham and others a liar if he's not going to come his judgment. And he is going to bring his judgment. But God's long-suffering. And a lot of times we wonder, well, how, does, how does God not punish ISIS? How does God not punish some of these people who are terrible, evil people? And why do they get away with this? Well, you can see they're not going to get away with it, right? Nobody's going to get away with sin. It's been judged. The only reason you and I are not going through the tribulation is because our sin has been judged by Jesus at the cross. That's why you need to be saved this morning. Because as a sinner, Revelation 3.23, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. But in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. We're going to die. People are dying every day. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What does that mean? It means whenever you die, you're going to rise again if you're in Christ because he's given you eternal life. He's covered us with his blood, right? He's covered us with his blood. And so we're not going to go through the tribulation period as a, as a church, if you will, because we're going to be raptured out. But there's still sin in the world. We've got to deal with it every day until then. It could be tomorrow, maybe, 20, maybe thousands of years from now. But every day we've got to deal with our sin, and we've got to have it confessed and put on the blood of Christ. I hope you'll do that even today. I was reading in my study about in Romans chapter 1. And when you read in Romans chapter 1, you see those who rebel against God. And you wonder, how is God allowing this? And those who had vile passions and those who were involved in all types of sin. We're seeing some of those come to fruition even today. And the Bible says three times. Check me out on it. Romans chapter 1, beginning reading verse number 24 to verse number 28. Three times the Bible says God gave them over to their own lust and their own passion. You know what that means? If you want to sin, God's going to let you. If you want to live in a lifestyle of sin and continue in it, God's going to let you. But you've got to make a decision. If I live in that lifestyle of sin, I continue to sin without forgiveness of Christ. I've never asked Christ to forgive me and take away my sin and cover me by his blood. If you've never done that, you're still in your sin. And the Bible says in Romans 1, God's just going to give you over to that vile passion and that lifestyle that you have. And you'll have to suffer the consequences, and you've seen what those are, as I've just shared already. Now, I'm just saying that to say this. You need to be saved. You need to come under the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sin, the redeem, redemption of your sin and my sin, that we will spend eternity with Him. Regardless of what happens around us, regardless of what's coming down the pike, God's got it under control. Amen? So my imitation is the same one the four living creatures gave. Come. Come and see what God can do for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Lord, we know that a lot of this text we're reading is hard to comprehend, even to understand. And we're not going to know it all. I don't know it all. No one does. But we got enough to know as we look and dissect and really look at these scriptures and the prophets. We know enough to know that God's the God of love. I do know John 3, 16. I do know what John 3, 16 says. I do know what Romans 5, 8 says. God demonstrated his love toward us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that if we believe in him and trust in him, we wouldn't have to perish, but we could have eternal life. So I'm just praying as I begin to preach through this tribulation period, Lord, you would help us to see that we need Jesus. I'm praying for those in this room today that need to come and receive Christ as their personal Savior before it's everlasting too late. So, Lord, would you do a great work? Would you help those who need to come to come to Jesus? So right now, I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Keep your head bowed just for a moment, eyes closed. I don't do this very often, but I want to do it right now. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor Dusty, I hear this message. It is horrible. And I don't really know if I'm a Christian. I don't really know if I die today, if I would go to heaven or 
I'd be left behind. Would you pray for me that I would make that decision? That I would have courage? That God would speak to me to help me to make the most important decision I'll ever make? Well, I need help with that. Would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand right now? Nobody's going to come to you. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now that God will help you make that type of decision. Would you do that? All over this auditorium, would you raise your hand if you want me to pray for you for salvation? That God will help you to get right with Him. Would you do that? Anyone? Anyone at all? Just pray. Pastor Dusty, pray for me that I, what I would make that type of decision. I really want to make that. I need to make that. Would you pray for me? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone at all? I can't see any hands. It tells me that maybe you're either all Christians or you, you know that you're saved. I rejoice with that. See one. See one hand. There's another one. God bless you. God bless you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. You need to come today and settle that with the Lord. I want to pray for you right now. Others need to come, maybe make some other type of decision. Maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you need to come and just repent of your sin and confess them to the Lord right here at the altar, just between you and Him. Sometimes we need to do that. Or God may want you to come pray for somebody. We see that all the time here at Lindsay Lane. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those that raise their hand, they would come and know for sure that they belong to you, Lord. Help them to come. Some need to come and make other type decisions. Some need to get involved in what you're doing here at Lindsay Lane. I pray they would come and unite with this church. Some others need to come and just pray, 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 pray. Lord, help us to do what you call us to do. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Would you come right now? God's spoken to your heart. Why don't you come? As Dwayne leads us, you come on. Come on right now. You come.